The Future Works, a podcast for workforce professionals, hosted by me, Melinda Mack. Because it doesn't look like the, the public health crisis is going away immediately, right? How do we really target and support those individuals, those families who've been hit hardest? Welcome back, everyone. It's late September, and in upstate New York, the signs of fall are here. We've got pumpkin spice lattes, apple picking, football, and much, much cooler evenings. And school buses are starting to run loops around neighborhoods. But much like the rest of 2020, this fall is not typical in any way. Back to school was, well, sort of that, I guess you could say, Um, at least in our family, with three kids going virtual. It's meant juggling computers, competing schedules, broadband usage, all to make sure that our kids are still getting some semblance of going to school. For many households, however, it's meant really difficult decisions about health and safety and about being able to go back to work. We are also about six weeks out from the U.S. presidential election. We're still waiting on that stimulus package, and everything has been made even more fraught with the recent passing of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But in the era we're in, which sometimes feels like the world's worst infomercial, that's not all. As we mentioned in our last podcast, as schools and universities were set to reopen in August, there was concern about COVID-19 flaring up. It turned out to be a really valid concern. Across the U.S. and even here in New York, where we've done a pretty good job of keeping COVID at bay, campuses closed, students were sent home just weeks after their arrival. The U.S. also hit a grim milestone the week of September 21st, over 200,000 deaths from COVID-19 and nearly 7 million cases. And although this feels like so many people, because it is so many people, we're still not even close to being out of the woods. We're hearing that fall could be even worse as people migrate inside away from the cold. If you're like me, all of this information, the data you're getting, is a constant din, a buzz, and it often feels overwhelming. Each of us every day, we're just attempting to make these calculations about what's safe, how we navigate our day-to-day and our work, and ultimately, how many of us are just trying to stay afloat. However, without this information, we'd be completely in the dark. We have to acknowledge that a lot of the stuff that we're seeing and hearing is new, brand new, brand new data collected, brand new information to be understood. So it's just a lot. This brings us to today's episode. Just like you and me, state and local governments are also looking at the piles of information and data they're collecting to make decisions about the future. If you're like us here in New York, we're facing significant state budget constraints, high unemployment, and a slow return of several key sectors. Don't get me wrong, there are certainly bright spots, and you can absolutely never underestimate the resilience of New Yorkers. But that being said, we still got some work to do. We actually convened as part of Invest in Skills New York, a New York State Workforce Recovery Group, And one of the things that came out of this is that there are some really practical things that states and local governments need to think about. We have to think about stabilizing the economy and workers. We have to build back better. We can't keep doing the same thing we've been doing all along. And our labor markets have to be much more equitable. But we also can't neglect fixing the things that are right in front of us that have been causing some of the problems all along. So there's some structural issues that we need to address. The big challenge that we're facing is that although we have a lot of information and data, Sometimes it's just not the right information and data, which is why I'm so excited about today's episode. 
If you know me, then you know deep in my heart, I am a workforce data nerd. So this episode is for all of my fellow data nerds. And I'm really pleased to welcome David Williams to today's episode. David is the Director of Policy Outreach at Opportunity Insights, which is based at Harvard University, and is dedicated to using big data to improve upward mobility in America. What I think is the best part about Opportunity Insights is, is that the data that they combine is all available right for you to look at online. And they combine these rich data sources to create real-time insights for policymakers and people alike. So I think we're going to learn a lot today. And with that, I'm going to let us get into it. Hope you enjoy today's show. David Williams, and I serve as the Director of Policy Outreach at Opportunity Insights. And we are a research and policy institute based at Harvard University that was founded by Professors Ross Shetty, Nathan Hendren, and John Friedman. Um, And basically, our mission is to use big data and scientific research to better understand issues of economic opportunity and economic inequality and to work with policymakers, practitioners, communities to really leverage that data and research to have real-world impact, right? To really empower families and communities, especially low-income families and communities, kind of help them, you know, empower them to pull themselves out of poverty and to achieve better life outcomes. So we work on a range of issues using our data and research, and it's my job to work with mayors, governors, um, nonprofits, different community organizations really think creatively around how we can use this data and scientific work to really support the folks who are doing the work on the ground every single day. I love that because at the end of the day, if it's just research and data that doesn't impact practice, in some ways, it's just a nice communication, right? One of the issues we have here in New York is I think there's an overwhelming amount of information and data. Um, but in some ways, it's the wrong types of data, or we're dealing especially with labor market indicators data with a considerable lag. So it becomes difficult for us to make any practical or reasonable policy decisions like in the minute. Talk to us a little bit about the difference between the information we're currently relying on, thinking about the labor market dynamics and COVID-19, but really what you're tapping into as part of Opportunity Insights to figure out real-time inferences about what's happening in the economy. Yeah, so that's a really great question. I think Something that we all saw with the pandemic is that, you know, this virus is impacting our economy and our communities so rapidly that it's really hard to keep up. And if you can't keep up, how are you going to respond to it effectively? And I think something we saw early on is that resources in the public health space, right, things like the John Hopkins Coronavirus Resource Center that helped public health officials track health data in real time, so looking at COVID cases across the country, you know, that really helped public health officials respond on the health side of the crisis. But as we've seen, right, this isn't just a health crisis, right? This is impacting our economy in really dramatic ways. And something that we saw was that we didn't have that real-time equivalent on the economic side. So a lot of the traditional metrics that we look at job report, GDP, right? These are things that at best you're getting every, every month. Sometimes it's quarterly, biannually, or only, or only once a year. And again, with how dramatically this crisis is impacting our economy every single day, we know we needed something else to really help policymakers make those quick decisions in real time that, that they really needed to. 
And so something we did, we, we are having, we are, we already having some conversations with private sector companies and right there are billions of transactions every single day that give us a very clear sense of what's happening in the economy. But that information is usually not available to the public. Um, so we ended up partnering with several private companies, payroll processing firms, fintech firms, job posting com- companies, and using their data that they get every single day, every single single minute, kind of distilling that, looking at things like consumer spending, job posting, employment rates, but being able to do so in real time and kind of putting it on a tool online that we call the economic tracker that's available at tractorrecovery.org. And it really lets us get a much better sense of how the economy is impacting us in real time for every state, every metro, and every county across the country. And now we're working with you know, local practitioners to say, hey, you know, how can we actually use this data to inform your work and make sure that you're able to make the best decisions possible with the most relevant and timely data possible? Well, and just on that, to, to make it real for the folks who are listening, I heard a segment on um, Boston Public Radio recently about how you're tapping into some of that spending data and really the illuminating results or outcomes specifically related to small businesses, I thought was fascinating. And if you haven't had a chance to look at the the tracker that's online, the ability to be able to drill down in many ways to zip code to really understand the dynamics around what's happening, it's fascinating. And it's been interesting as we watch like the news cycles come across and come through to start to see some of your data show up in news cycles around, you know, the variety of small business recovery in high income areas versus low income areas, just the difference between zip codes in terms of how the COVID-19 downturn is impacting people and employers. Are there other types of data that you're looking at beyond sort of spending patterns? You mentioned a few, but I'm sure there's others that you're digging into as well. You know, I think you really got the issue earlier is that there's so much data out there, but it's really thinking through what's going to be most helpful, right? What data actually answers the, the questions that are relevant to what we're going through today. Um, so, you know, if, you know, you mentioned consumer spending. We look at small business revenue, um, small businesses opening and, and closing, unemployment claims. You know, we use some of the public health data about COVID cases. I think another interesting one that I think ties into the work you do as well is education data. Um, so we actually partnered with an online math platform called, called Zern, um, that serves millions of kids across the country and used, using their data to get a better sense of when schools close down in the spring, right? In which communities were, were students able to kind of stay engaged and make progress through their curriculums and where were students really, really, really falling off? And I think as we move forward, you know, looking at partnerships with credit card companies and a range of other, other firms to really find data that, that can really help us understand, again, in real time, what's happening and, and how we can respond most effectively. Yeah, you're sort of raising for me, um, prior to coming to NIATEP, I worked with the City University of New York around community college readiness and completion. And at the time, about 10 years ago now, you know, like the metric really was around the number of students getting into college. But at that point, we weren't really measuring completion, right? And so in some ways, we also like set the bar in the wrong spot in terms of the progress we were trying to measure. And so it's interesting, I think, too, the way that you're able to combine information and data to get answers to questions we haven't thought about measuring yet. Um, And for for me, um, I really appreciate, again, really thinking through, especially with the lens of equity and opportunity, just how 
important it is to know the mix of information and data necessary to understand an equity issue um, and the differences between zip codes. Because again, when you look at the data in the tracker or even on Opportunity Insights, um, sort of at the Opportunity Atlas, like it is stark, just the difference between a zip code and what that means for outcomes for people and for employers who are in that zip code. What are kind of, when you think about that, what are the other types of insights you're starting to pull recognizing what you're seeing as you start to see the disparate impacts of this downturn, um, specifically around low-wage work and small business recovery? Yeah, no, well, one, I'm glad you raised, raised CUNY and the Opportunity Atlas, because I think, so before working at Opportunity Insights, I served in the mayor's office in Detroit, my hometown, working on kind of neighborhood revitalization issues, housing policy, um, and issues of equity and economic mobility. And I think one thing I learned from that is that all of these issues are so interrelated. And so I think one thing that I really enjoy about the Opportunity Insights research and work is how it can bring those issues to the forefront and show how they all really in, interact. And I think being able to get down to those granular levels with the Opportunity Atlas, we use census and IRS data to really show the long-term impacts um, of neighborhoods on the kids who grow up there and how those impacts are really stark and we can see them, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, years later. I think with this COVID work and the economic tracker, it shows how important it is to be able to look at outcomes based on different, different subgroups and also based on geography, right? So something we saw or something we're, we're seeing now is that, you know, in some ways the recession is almost over for higher paid workers. Right? I think their employment rates are almost back across the country to pre-crisis levels, whereas lower wage wage workers, right, their employment rates are still down by 10 and 15 percent. Right. And so being able to break the impacts down by those different groups is extremely important, but also geography. And we've seen some really non-intuitive things. So so I live in New York. I live in, um, in Harlem. And something we've seen is that small businesses have actually been most impacted in the highest income areas. Right. So if you're you know, in the Upper East Side or if you're around Central Park in New York, right, small business revenue dropped by 50, 60, 70 percent yeah. in some of these places. Um, and, and we saw that. But interestingly, uh, it's the low wage workers in these higher income communities who are being hit hardest. Right. So it's those, those folks who work at the local restaurant, at the lo local bars, they're the ones who are being hit the hardest. Whereas, you know, if you cross the river, if you go to East Harlem, the Bronx, you know, somewhat lower income communities, right, workers are being hit harder there, there too, but we're not seeing the same drop off, right? So we're seeing some very non-intuitive things happen during this crisis because it really is being, being driven by this, this public health issue. You know, it's so, I think that's so important to remind ourselves that we often have a lot of assumptions based on prior evidence or data, but because this crisis is so unique and different, it does require us to take a new look with fresh eyes and fresh analysis to be able to understand some of those insights as you're describing. And I actually went in and looked at the, the recovery tracker, the economic tracker, and just for New York, uh, for people making less than $27,000 a year, still around 19.5% in terms of when we're really thinking about the unemployment rate. And to your point, the, the unemployment rate, employment rates have really risen pretty significantly for people, people making over that $50,000 mark. And so it was, again, even to look into that data to see the starkness of that difference was pretty incredible. Um, but in, I think the other thing that I was thinking as you're, you're describing some of this is I think for us, when we think about solutions and think about solutions for policymakers, for the workforce community, um, 
are you starting to circle around what some of those solutions need to look like in order to be able to recover considering who's being impacted? Yeah, no, so that's, so that's the, um, the um, key issue. So one, I think there's the immediate response, right? And I think something we see is that, you know, because it doesn't look like the, the public health crisis is going away immediately, right? How do we really target and support those individuals, those families who've been hit, who've been hit hardest, right? Those folks who've actually lost their jobs and it doesn't look like they're being able to work their way back into the workforce, right? So how do we target that assistance more effectively immediately, right? And that probably, that probably requires some, some conversations in Washington. Um, but then making sure that we don't lose track of those long-term outcomes, right? Something that we already see in the Opportunity Atlas data is that Right? There are very disparate outcomes based on where you grow up. And I think something we're seeing, especially with the education data from, from Zern, is that learning loss is a real danger. Right? And I think yeah. that we are in danger of, you know, in low-income communities, right, seeing those disparities be really exacerbated. Um, you know, dealing with you know, not having enough access to devices. A lot of lower-income families who might be essential workers, right, they might not be able to provide as much support to their children as they're transitioning or having to continue with um, learning outside the, the classroom. So, so then really focus on where are those communities with the most vulnerable families who are going to be hard hit, not just by job loss, but also by things like having to support children even, 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 even more um, when schools aren't able to be, you know, as supportive, all encompassing as they once were. Um, so I think kind of both making sure we can target support for those who've been most impacted in the immediate, but also making sure that we're doubling down and investing so that these long-term outcomes aren't as impacted. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's, we've been jokingly calling it, um, we're riding the bike while we're trying to fix it and making it basically a souped up vehicle <laughs> because it really is around, like there's so much immediate impact that has to be addressed just to stabilize people and businesses to be able to still exist um, at the at the end of all of this. But in reality, like we can't forget the structural changes that have to be made in order to make sure we can actually have an equitable recovery. Because in some ways, I think if we just keep investing and supporting the way we've always done it, especially when it relates to workforce development, we're going to keep getting the same outcomes, which for me, you know, mm -hmm. having been in this sector for almost 20 years, like to, to think that in some ways we've squandered the recovery from 2008 to now, um, and that so many um, low-wage, low-income New Yorkers are in some ways worse off now than they were back then. Mm -hmm. um, I think for us, it's a lesson around how we really think strategically about the recovery moving forward. Um, so the last thing I wanted to ask you is, how can people access this information? I think we've already mentioned the Opportunity Atlas and the Econo Economic Tracker. Um, we know that policymakers and communities are starting to tap into sort of your online data, but if folks are really interested in, per in pursuing or learning more about the work that you're doing, what's the best way for them to get involved? Yeah, so that's definitely a, a great question. I think, you know, a lot, a lot of my personal job opportunity insights is to really get out into the community and talk with policymakers and practitioners. Obviously, that is a little bit harder to, 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 to do now, so we do rely even more on some of our online resources. So one, all of our research, all of our papers are available at opportunityinsights.org. Um, but additionally, our data that really focuses on the impact of neighborhoods is all on an interactive map that's on the Opportunity Atlas, and that's available at opportunityatlas.org. 
And then finally, for all the real-time data tracking the impact of COVID-19, we have maps and charts that can look at basically every state, every county across the country on the economic tracker, which is available at trackthecovery.org. Um, so we're always you know, really excited for folks who are using that tool, but also for folks who use it and can then share with us their insights about you know, what's going on, what's really causing those trends that we see in the data, because we rely on those folks who are on the ground to help give us perspective and help ex explain some of the trends that we're seeing at a really broad level in the, in the data. I think that's awesome. And I will say again, for folks on the phone, even if you're not someone who sits around looking at data and charts all day, um, the information that you've included and the utility of the tools you've created is really easy to use. And so it's one of those opportunities where this is in some ways like a very intuitive, easy to utilize set of data reports. Um, and I really encourage folks to take a look at it. But also, as David said, and David, we'd love to welcome you back and welcome you to New York, where we can share how we've been able to use some of this information and data. Um, because again, I think the wealth here combined with the stuff that people are collecting on the ground could really yield some pretty powerful insights moving ahead. Oh, that's great. And, you know, I would, I would, I would love to kind of collaborate with you all and figure out how we can make these tools even more effective for your purposes as well. And also, you know, I'm not an economist. I just happen to work with them. So this is definitely a tool um, that is for kind of regular, regular folks who are doing, you know, a, a wide range of work. If you want to learn more about the types of information and data that are currently being collected and should be collected for New York State's workforce development system, check out Invest in Skills New York latest brief, Accounting for Success, a blueprint for measuring the performance of New York State's workforce development system. The report was released in September of 2020 and can be found at www.niatep.org. We encourage you to check it out. Let us know what you think and let us know what other types of information and data you think the workforce development system should be using. Thank you for joining the FutureWorks podcast. You can download previous episodes at www.niatep.org.